Welcome in everyone to the Lion Slayer. My name is Noah Reif. I am your host as well as usual now. And I am joined today by the wonderful, the extraordinary, the beautiful John Sauber. John, what's up, dude? Too many, too many positive adjectives. Too many positive. You know <laughs> there, what? Listen, there's there's there are limited people who describe me in, with any of those words, let alone all of them at the same time. Listen, I get to sit here and stare at you for like an hour. <laughs> Once a week. And yeah, I apologize for that. You look great. It's back for Penn State football. Their first presser of and how how long has it been since they've since, done a presser? Since the Outback Bowl. Yeah, so it's it's a been month, a minute. A month and a day, I believe. That's that's a minute. Yeah, and we learned uh I mean as much as we usually do, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like there was I mean, I think there were good bits of information there. Um of course James Franklin speaking on his fiftieth birthday. Um, wow. yeah. <laughs> he does not look 50. No, he doesn't. He, looks, he fully looks 30. Yeah, he's, and he says some, Mike Poorman of statecollege.com said something about 50 being the new 40. It's, yeah. Uh, you know, uh, to his credit, he does look good for his age. No, he looks know? great. I mean, I hope that I'm looking that good when I'm the, you know, when I'm his age. But yeah, let's, let's talk about some takeaways from that presser. Um, probably the biggest thing and a question that you specifically asked um, was what is the situation with Sean Clifford and the starter role? We had some insinuations from some places that he is the definite starter and that, you know, Franklin has confirmed this in the presser. What's, what's, what's the reality of the situation? Yeah. I think that's a bit of a a misread of what he said, right? Like I think uh, what we've learned uh, over the years, and this is my, you know, going into my second year on the beat as a primary writer, my fourth season total, I think, which is crazy to say out loud, uh, on the beat. You're also old. Yes, that is true. (laughs) Uh, Turn 27 next week. Uh, But the, James Franklin's very intentional with what he says, right? He almost always um, thinks about in a, he he knows how what he's saying is being received, right? So he's not going to say something um, that can sort of be twisted in any way. Um, and I think what he said yesterday, he said with purpose about the starting quarterback role. Um, he said, and this is factually correct, that Sean Clifford is the team's returning starter. He did not say he's the definite starter next year. He did not say he's going to start every game. He did not say he's going to start week one. He said he's the returning starter from last year, meaning he's returning to the team and he started last season. And I think that is very intentional. And who knows, maybe I'm reading too far into his phrasing. But he also said, and, and he tends to do this a lot, that there will be competition at every position, including quarterback. But I think we've heard him in the past talk about Sean Clifford as if, you know, the starting role is his, right? Like uh, that other guys aren't ready, that he's the clear leader, that he's the clear guy. Um, and he said, you know, you, you rebuild your roster every year, you rebuild your depth chart every year. Uh, and if that's the case, then there isn't there is a reason to believe that other guys on the roster will have an opportunity. How grand of an opportunity? Who knows? How um, likely of an opportunity? Who knows? But and as as to you know Franklin's credit, sort of uh, he said the it's harder to unseat a returning starter. Um, but again, he just referred to him as a returning starter. He did not say that he was starting this year. He's not you know any of that stuff. And I think on this podcast, I had previously said that I didn't think Clifford would be starting by the time they play Ohio State, which I think at the time was October 1st, and now that game's moved back, so now I feel better about that prediction. Um, But I do 
you know, sort of trying to read between the lines a little bit, I do think other guys will have an opportunity. And if Christian Veyu comes out in spring ball and is vastly better than Clifford, I don't think it's out of the question that he starts. If Drew Aller is vastly better, I don't think it's out of the question that he starts. If Bo Pribula is vastly better, I don't think it's out of the question that he starts. It's just going to be really hard for them to be vastly better. I think that is the important thing here, right? Like Clifford, for all of his warts, has played a lot of football and has played really well for extended stretches. Uh, the season they went to the Cotton Bowl in 2019 stands out. Um, you know, the, uh, the, the stretch at the start of this season, the 2021 season, uh, prior to him getting hurt in Iowa, stands out as, you know, there were more ups and downs, I think, than that 2019 season, but he was good, right? And he was, he was helpful at quarterback. Um, 2020, he wasn't. He was, it was, uh, he was not putting the offense in a position to succeed. Uh, so I, I do think he is the favorite, maybe the overwhelming favorite to start, but I don't think it's a given, and I don't think anything James Franklin said would make anyone think, yeah, there's no chance anyone starts and, or anyone else starts at quarterback. If anything, I think he opened the door, or at least left it open. Um, and who knows if if Clifford gets outplayed, like I said, maybe one of those guys overtake him. Maybe maybe they don't do enough. Maybe they're dead even, and Clifford gets on because he's the veteran. And he doesn't play well to start the year, and then one of those guys takes over. Or maybe he plays well, and plays all season, right? Like uh, it's always tough to prognosticate these things, and I think it's really tough with a quarterback when the other guys are so young. There is no redshirt sophomore on the roster. There's a redshirt freshman and two red and true true freshmen, like two guys who enrolled, what like a month ago now, early January. So like, they might be better than him already, but it's not that likely. You know, they're young. It's okay. It's okay if Drew Aller isn't good enough to overtake Clifford yet. It's okay if Bo Pribula isn't good enough yet. It's okay if Veyu isn't. But I don't think it's impossible. Uh, and I think James Franklin pretty much said it's not impossible. So I think anyone sort of trying to read into this as like. Oh, he's essentially named Clifford the starter is sort of misreading what what Franklin said. And like I said, he's always been intentional intentional about what he says in press conferences to the media in general. And I think the way he framed that was intentional. Um, you know, is it is it possible that that Clifford was is always going to be the guy? Sure, but I don't know that it's guaranteed. And I think. Probably the reason that we're hearing so much about that specifically is there are a lot of vocal woes from fans about Clifford and about his legacy and about, you know, when are we going to move on from Clifford? When are we going to move on from Clifford? But I think you've touched on it before, too, where it's like you have a ton of young talent coming in. It's not the worst thing to have him as a veteran there who knows the system, who has been here, who is a leader in that locker room and can at least get them through part of a season, a whole season, you know, whatever whatever is to be seen. And and he's clearly revered for his, his work ethic and his work habits. Um, James Franklin has said in the past, like, he will walk past, like, one of the film rooms and Clifford's in there. Like, he doesn't know what the hell he's doing. There. Like, he, you know what I mean? Like, it's not, he's just in there in his free time doing that stuff. And that's, you know, he works hard. And he's, I think he's always had that reputation. Um and it would be a positive for the young guys to also get that reputation for Penn State. Um, or to not just to get the reputation, but to actually act that way, right? To put that level of effort in and to try that, you know, to try that hard to be that good, to be good, to be an elite quarterback. Um, which, like, Clifford hasn't ascended to that level, but his preparation has helped him, you know? Who knows what he would be without it, right? Uh, and so instilling those work habits, are, I think, are a positive thing. And having him come back, if I don't know that he 
So I don't know that this is a situation where if they make a change midseason where he's going to sulk, where he's going to, like he's been benched before and he handled it really well. You know, for all of anyone's complaints about Clifford, he tends to take those things in stride and he tends to understand those decisions uh, from, from the outside anyways, it seems he does. And, you know, when he got benched against Nebraska, he was upset with himself because he didn't play well and he knew he wasn't playing well. Uh, so he tried to help Will Levis get ready. Uh, same with when Levis was named the starter against Iowa. He tried to get Levis ready. So, you know, I would I would venture to guess, you know, he's an older guy. I think he turns 24 either this summer or next summer. And, like, when he gets to that point, like, he, he might know that he doesn't have much of an NFL career ahead of him, right? Like, that this, this might be the extent of it. And, and who knows? Maybe he does. Guys play in the league for a long time as backups, and maybe he could do that. Uh, but I, I think he probably knows that he doesn't have a – you know, he's not going to be a first-round pick at quarterback at this point. And that's why you come back. Because if you believe you are, you probably don't come back, right? Um, but I think he probably is self-aware enough to know where his sort of standing in a potential NFL landscape is. And now he's got to, you know, make the best of the current situation and enjoy his football career as long as he can. And, and maybe that's as the starter. Maybe that's guiding guys. But I, I think his, you know, he's shown in the past that he's a, sort of a team player, right? And he's willing to do what it helps or do what it takes to help the team win whether that's playing or helping those who are playing. Yeah, and we talked about, again, those you have new talent coming in at, at quarterback, but where else are we seeing uh, additions to this roster? Yeah, so Penn State made two additions uh, on, I guess it's technically National Signing Day, and the first one's the early National I don't know. I don't, whatever you who want to call them. Who knows anymore? Guys were allowed to sign again yesterday. Yeah. Uh, uh, yesterday being Wednesday, of course, we were talking on Thursday, February 3rd, I believe. Dates are tough. Um, but, yeah, uh, they added um, Vega Ioni uh, as an offensive tackle uh, slash offensive guard from from Washington, which I hear uh, is a, a decent state. I don't know. Maybe you know a little more about that. That's uh, all right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but uh, he, you know, is a, a big physical kid, good athlete, uh, was committed to the University of Washington, decommitted after Jimmy Lake got fired. Uh, they hired Kalen DeBoer. He visited Minnesota, Washington, and Penn State. And, you know, James Franklin said yesterday he thought, like, it was just a trip, right? Like, he's just taking the visit to Penn State to see Penn State. And then he ended up liking it. And he ended up signing and, or committing and signing yesterday. Uh, and Penn State landed him. So, um, you know, the more offensive linemen you can get in recruiting, the better, I think. Because it's just so tough to project those guys. Because a lot of, you know, a lot of offensive tackles start out as tight ends that just bulk up. A lot of... Offensive tackles move down to offensive guard because they don't have the strength or the length, or that they do have the strength, but they don't have the length to stick on the outside. And you know, it's really, really tough to find uh, offensive linemen. And so you just sort of take as many as you can that you think can be good. And I think that's a, a fine strategy to have. Um, you know, and Ioni definitely fits in someone that could contribute relatively early. I don't think he's contributing this year by any means. Like he's just, you know, it's really hard to do as a true freshman. Uh, Landon Tangwall did a little bit last year. And I think that was even, you know, kind of surprising, but it, it came at the end of the year when the, the season was sort of a wash. And I think if they weren't getting tension, that might not have been the case. Um, so it's just tough for young guys to play early. And then they also added Tyrese Mills, who was projected to sign with the class in December. Didn't ultimately signs in February. Uh, another Lackawanna uh, safety. Uh, he is not, I, don't, I think he's sort of like on one end of the spectrum, you have Jair Brown, who is more coverage based and uh, good against the run. But, you know, he's he's really, really good against uh, the pass. You have Juquan Brisker, who's in the middle, who's good against pass, good against the run, sort of an all around safety. Isn't like, 
you know, going to hurt you in either way. And I think Mills is close to the other end where he is uh, sort of the opposite of, of Brown and that he's going to help you more against the run. Still can be good against the pass, but, you know, he's almost like a fourth linebacker at times. If they go to the nickel, he's kind of like a third linebacker, a hybrid uh, linebacker safety. Um, that being said, I think he can stick at safety. I don't think that's out of the question. I think he's a good enough athlete too, but I think he's going to be at his best helping against the run. And I think like, you know, to compare him to someone like Jonathan Sutherland right now uh, on Penn State's roster, moving to linebacker from safety in all likelihood, he is good against the run and how do I phrase it? He is a negative against the pass, right? He's just, it's not where he's, it's sort of not where his bread's buttered, right? I think Tyrese Mills can be better than that against the pass. I think sort of a better version of Jonathan Sutherland is the upside there. Could easily see him starting down the line. Uh, and the third guy that, that Franklin was able to talk about for the first time, but I think we had talked about in the past, Mitchell Tinsley, um, who went to Western Kentucky last year after he was at Hutchison Community College in Kansas. Um, I, I had a story up on him on SendedDaily.com. You can go check that out. Um, but he, he, when he told me, like, he, he stopped playing football in, like, middle school, high school, started again late, had no offers to go anywhere, walked on at a community college, only got offers from, like, a few schools, like New Mexico State, Akron, Western Kentucky, went to, went to Western Kentucky because they were winning and he wanted to win, then ultimately chose Penn State over Tennessee because he wants to win, but because he also wants to make it to the NFL, and I think he's good enough to do that in the long run. Uh, Franklin said he spoke to one of his old coaches at the AFCA, uh, which is a coaches convention. And he said the coach couldn't couldn't have gushed more about Tinsley. Couldn't have had nicer things to say about him. You know, I, I tend to get that same vibe from talking to Tinsley on the phone. Uh, that that he is, you know, a, a good kid, works hard. Um, I think he's going to contribute a lot. Uh, there is, I think he's probably the number two receiver. I also wouldn't roll out him being their top option this year. Uh, Franklin mentioned that he thinks Clifford and Tinsley are roommates, which is always a good sign. Getting on the same page with your quarterback, but. Um, your projected starting quarterback, I should say. And then, you know, uh, that's only going to help him out. It's only going to help the connection there. Returning starter. Yes, returning starter. That's right. Uh, but, yeah, no, I think uh, I think he's in position to find success at Penn State and potentially really help himself with his future too. So we also have the addition of Stacy Collins. And while we really we don't know much yet but like what are the first impressions of Stacy Collins so far yeah so we spoke to him for the first time yesterday he had his sort of intro presser after Franklin spoke um he I, I think if you're a Penn State fan you heard all of the right things right like he he emphasized and this is key in special teams the teaching aspect of it right like Coach, his background's in education, he said, and he thinks the first part of coaching is teaching, and I think there's a lot of truth to that, you know. Um, that's how you get guys to learn, right? Like, you can't just usually scream guys down and hope that they indulge the knowledge, but uh, I think the teaching aspect of it is important. You know, he said they're aggressive in special teams, which I think is a good sign. They've been really good against uh, in, in punt return and punt block in the past. Um, he wants to emphasize sort of the uh, the strengths of the team, so if, like, they're better uh, in you know, uh, fakes, probably fake more if they're better at going after a block. They'll probably go after blocks more than trying to get returns. You know what I mean? Uh, he'll try to maximize what they're doing. And another important thing he says, he mentioned that they want to be on the cutting edge of everything, which I think is always a positive sign because every piece of information can have value. Like get him, you know, any analytic I think you can find is a, an important data point because it's another data point. It doesn't have to be the entire story, 
But the more information you have, the better in making decisions. And I think that's sort of what he intimated, intimated on being the cut at the cutting edge of all of this stuff, right? Like you want to be as far up front as you can um, and to sort of help the team however they can in special teams. Um, but beyond that, you know, he overlapped with Joe Lorg, said he talked to Lorg before he took the job. Lorg, of course, being the former special teams coordinator at Penn State, uh, who left for the University of Oregon. He talked to Lorg, who said – who he said couldn't have said nicer things about the area, the team, the coaching staff, and all that. So he felt comfortable that he's going into a good situation. He's got a whole new unit, pretty much. Jordan Stout leaving after doing uh, everything on special teams. Jahan Dotson leaving after being the primary punt returner. Kick returner has sort of been a, a revolving door for Penn State. And, you know, they have a lot of guys back there that can return them, but I don't really think they want to return many of them anyways. I think they're comfortable taking the ball at the 25 more often than not. Um, but yeah, he's the cupboard isn't bare, but it's new and it's young. Uh, Sandra Sahidek probably going to be the favorite to kick this year. Was a five star freshman according to kicking sites, anyways. Uh, was three star and like you know the the rivals the twenty four sevens and whatnot. I was going to say I didn't know there were five star kickers. That's impressive. Yeah, they so I I think it's pretty much capped at three stars on those sites. He I, I believe Sahidek was the number one kicker in the country. Kicker bias. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> we want love for our kickers. Yeah, exactly. I mean, they can swing a game. It's true. Uh, but Alex Pachetta, the other highly rated uh, special teamer, he was a punter. He's coming in in this class. Uh, went to the Westminster School, which is the same school as Blake Gillikin, um, and could reasonably come in and have an impact right away. Because again, Stout was the team's punter last year. There's an opening there, um, so they're gonna, you know, they're gonna have a lot of turnover there, and it's gonna be up to Collins to sort of figure it out and. I think, again, it's just a first impression from a first press conference. You, you never know how it's going to play out. We don't. We haven't seen him coach guys. We rarely would anyways. But, like, the, the what he said is a positive, I think. The things he said are what you want to hear, and I was just going to go out and do it. Let's transition over to the hoop dreams, the, the, the court of dreams, Micah Shrewsbury's domain. I don't even know what – I don't know how I'm transitioning yeah, this, but I just – Listen, you've had some good ones. Three out of ten was, on that one. Yeah. Well, you know what? I'm I'm how many episodes into hosting? I, I have to have a flop here or there. That's right. Transition's uh, a transition. It worked. We're here. Yeah, we're here. And uh, I guess before before we start off, congrats to Braden Shrewsbury on 1,000 points. It's a very cool, cool milestone to hit. Uh, Micah's son, of course, plays for State High. Uh, you know, played for West Lafayette High School in West Lafayette, Indiana before, of course, Micah accepted this job and uh, is pretty good. Committed to play at Penn State. Very good shooter, can create a little bit for, uh, for himself, you know. Uh, so it's a pretty big milestone to hit, uh, you know, and to do it as a junior especially. You know, I know he's a, a better player than, you know, you, you usually see in this, this area when it comes to basketball, but still to hit 1,000 points as a junior I think is a, is a, it's a nice milestone to hit. Yeah, and there should be a story up on uh, Center Daily very soon, if not by the time this podcast comes out. So go check that out. Um, but let's move on to the Iowa win. Big game at the BJC. First time in three weeks almost they were at the BJC. First time in what felt like an eternity. Yeah. Back at the BJC, fans, fans that were getting trashed on national tv yeah that was uh, i don't know about all that from uh the the commentary team we don't have to go too deep into that but there's, that's a bit unnecessary yeah there was just a little bit of banter from the commentary team there on the big 10 network broadcast but dig- let's digress and talk about the actual su- the substance the important things penn state beat iowa and uh was it double overtime yeah double overtime 90 to 86 uh 
one of the craziest plays I've ever seen to end regulation. Insane. Keegan Murray had no business scoring there. Uh, Jordan Bohannon shoots a three to try and win the game. Um, Murray was boxed out. Like he, he was not in position and he uh, did not have enough time to tip it in. Uh, but he had the wherewithal to get to where he needed to. He had the athleticism to get up there and he had the intelligence to know time was running down and he barely touched the ball. And the fact that it got off his fingers so quickly is so crazy. Uh, it goes in, they go into overtime. Miles Dredd hits a game tying three in the first overtime. May have shuffled his feet a little bit, yeah, but that's all right. You know. Listen, yeah. big time officiating. I've I've done that rant before. Don't need to do it again. Yep. But uh, you know, he shuffled his feet a little bit, got away with it, makes the three to tie the game, send it the double overtime, and Penn State sort of takes care of business from there. Iowa stops hitting shots. Um, you know, they had some unlikely performers in that game. Connor McCaffrey, son of Fran McCaffrey, was making frankly shots he never makes or takes. He was four of six from three. He had made four threes entering the game. Of course, separated his shoulder in the game. Uh, you know, and you always hate to see stuff like that. But those guys were making shots. They were making a lot of shots early, a lot of shots that, you know, for Connor that you usually don't see him make. Um, and that's always tough because you sort of guard guys how you want to and they make shots that they're not used to taking and they're not, they don't often make when they do take. And The Indiana effect. Yeah, right. When when those guys are making open shots, you just kind of have to live with it. Um, but Penn State hung with Iowa. They were able to, you know, to, to beat them in the end. But that's one of those wins where – you know, they probably shouldn't have been as big of underdogs as they were. I can't remember what the spread was. I think it was like eight and a half in the game uh, prior to it. But, you know, uh, it's really, I say this all the time, it's so hard to win on the road in the Big Ten. Like, it's so difficult. Uh, and Penn State's a well-coached team, and it's even tougher to beat well-coached teams that play good defense on the road. Like, it's just really, really hard. Um, Penn State gets the win. Uh, sort of, you know, any red flags that were raised from the previous three losses can sort of, you know, uh, be, be wound down a little bit now. Um, you don't have to be as concerned that things are going to spiral. Uh, Jalen Pickett said today that their media availability today, and I think this is an excellent point that, you know, a young team usually, like, you lose those three games in a row, it's like, well, well now what? Or, or you go into the overtime or the second overtime, like the first overtime, especially after Murray makes that tip in, you're like, well, now what? Now it's over, you know. But this is a veteran group. They've all been there. They all get it. You know, and that hasn't happened. They bounced back. They know that the next game's coming. Uh, there, there's no sort of – they never get too high, never get too low. Um, and so I think that has been a major benefit to them. Now, uh, what lies ahead is a bit different. Uh, we may as well get into that now. What lies ahead is another one of the top ten players in the country, right? Like Keegan Murray was that for Iowa. They've played him two of their last three games, I believe. And now they get Johnny Davis, who might be better for Wisconsin. Uh Excellent at creating his own looks uh, off the dribble, makes shots off the catch. Um, one of the highest scores in the country, one of the highest scores in the Big Ten. Um, super efficient, too. Can get to the rim, super active off the ball, which I think separates him from a lot of um, high-level players. You you often see, you know, the, the elite of the elite, like Luka Doncic, for instance, like doesn't move much when he doesn't have the ball in his hands. But when you have a young guy that's moving with the ball without the ball in his hands, I think it's a positive sign. Uh, it's something actually, you know, to stick with the NBA theme here that separates John ja Morant from a lot of uh, other star players. Like he's super active off the ball, always cutting, always looking to find a, a seam in the defense to get himself open or to set something up for a teammate. Johnny Davis is like that. Um, and he's really good. <laughs> like he says, he's really good on both ends of the court. Seth Lundy's probably going to draw that assignment as he has most of the season when, when teams are, uh, sort of 
when they have that high level wing, right? The, the Ben State has to go up against Lundy's the one that tends to have to take them on and uh, play against them. But as Mike Shrewsbury said today, that's never an individual effort. The whole team has got to know where Johnny Davis is at all times. They have to be able to to sort of uh, help off of their guys when they need to. You know, when when your guy isn't a shooter and he's standing at, uh, beyond the arc, maybe don't be as close so you can help back. If, if Davis cuts behind someone, Davis sets guys up really well. Like, he he will fake one direction and then back cut you to death. Like, he just will get to the rim mercilessly. He'll get post-ups against smaller guys. Like, he is – he's good, right? Like, he's just – he's really good offensively. He's really good defensively. And Penn State's going to have its hands full. Frankly, this isn't a game that I expect them to win. Right, like Wisconsin is one of the best teams in the country, one of the best teams in the Big Ten, and on the road. Yeah, and it's a road game in the Big Ten. As they say all the time, it's so tough to win on the road. It's even harder when that team is, you know, elite. Uh, and Wisconsin is elite. Uh, of course, I have Brad Davison, who has been there since I, I think since I was in elementary school, would be my guess at this point. Uh, he's been there forever. Um, you know, he's a veteran presence there. But they got Tyler Wall, who can stretch the floor. I believe he's a lefty. Uh, can can get in deep, is uh, capable of scoring in the post. So, you know, they're they're a good team. Uh, this is going to be a tough game, but I don't think a loss should diminish what they did against Iowa, and I think that would be sort of at sort of front of mind for me. Like, if, if you're a fan watching this game, like, if it doesn't go well, that's okay. Like, this isn't a game that they should expect to win. Now, they, within the building, probably expect to win the game, as they should, right? Like, they should never go in and be like, oh, we don't have a chance here, right? Like, they should expect to win the game, but it's not the end of the world if they don't. Uh, like I said, I don't expect them to. They get Michigan next Tuesday. Is uh, a uh, you know a lovely birthday I get to spend in the Bryce Jordan Center, uh, which I think has happened every year since I've been here. Uh, you get to spend, spend it with my, me though. So well, you're right. There are a lot of detractors to it, uh, <laughs> but the 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 you know that that's going to be a game that they should win. Michigan hasn't been good that year, good this year. They are talented. Uh, Hunter Dickinson's going to present problems. Seven foot one center. Caleb Houston can really shoot, but like they just haven't been good. But yeah, they, they lost that game uh, against Purdue at home. They lose to Ohio State at home, so they're sort of two games behind the eight ball. Uh, they they won on the road against Northwestern to get one of those back. Um, you got to get another one though uh, to get to five hundred in the Big Ten. I think that should be their goal, and I think think their goal should be to sort of avoid the first day of the Big Ten tournament, right? Like finish in the top ten of the Big Ten, give yourself a chance to make a little run. Maybe get the NIT. Maybe have a you know a, a minuscule chance at the at the NCAA tournament, but give yourself an opportunity there. Um, but yeah, they're they're in they're in position to be good this season, right? And Micah Shrewsbury's first year with a ton of roster turnover, they're in position to be good, and I think that's a very positive sign. Um, I sort of talked a lot about you know the the X's and O's of this and. And not even that X's and O's, the overarching view of this uh, analysis story on centerdaily.com. Uh, you can find that there. I believe that's for subscribers only. Uh, I mentioned that in the past, but that is, you know, you can read more about that. But, like, I, I think they're in as good of a spot as you, you could reasonably expect this program to be in. And I think that's a really, really positive sign for Penn State moving forward. Yeah, and I, I, I did want to touch on one more thing that I found interesting. I was actually watching the Texas Tech-Texas game. Of course you were. Because, you know, Wreckham Raiders um, comes up, baby. <laughs> um, but, no, you know, we see this um, almost this new phenomenon of older teams in the NCAA. And, you know, Penn State is... It's the portal. Yeah. That's why this is happening. Right. And I think that's super interesting. And I just I wanted to hear your perspective on specifically, like, Penn State is an older team. 
they are getting some younger. They're bringing five freshmen in. Right. They're bringing in a lot of, of youth, but like, how do you think they're, what, what do you see the, the portal playing a role in this team's future? Yeah. So I think the best example of this is actually Kentucky. Right. Texas Tech's another good one because they always feed off the portal. Chris Beard always has. He's doing it in Texas now, right? They have yeah. Marcus Carley in that team. Yeah. Uh, but Kentucky has guys like Keelan Grady. They have Oscar Chibway. Uh, they have uh, Jacob Toppin, who came from Rhode Island. Um, got a bunch of guys. Like a bunch of their contributors are are portal guys. They still get like the, the star freshman. They have Keon Brooks was a five star when they got him a few years ago. I covered his recruitment. Uh, you know, Ty Ty Washington was, I believe, a five star guy. So they still get those guys, but they blend it together. Penn State should be looking to do a lower version. Right, they're not Kentucky. <laughs> they're never going to be Kentucky. That's they could okay. Be. No, they won't. Um, be. They won't be. <laughs> but and I don't know who. Like they could probably hire Calipari, and they probably wouldn't be able to do it. Uh, yeah, it just is what it is. But the, I think that should be the basis of it, right? You want to get a base of youth and young talent that you can work through your system, and every year you want to supplement that with veterans. You should try to build through freshman recruiting and high school recruiting. And then at the end of every season, look at your roster, say, what do we need? And then go, then go find those guys, right? And uh, fill those guys or get those guys to fill the roster. Um, I think Shrewsbury nailed it the first time through. I think there were some sort of like Jaheim Cornwall not shooting well, I think is really surprising. But the idea of getting Jaheim Cornwall, and who knows, he can bounce back still. He's a good shooter. I think the idea of Jaheim Cornwall is a good fit in what they're doing. You know, it's something they're missing because he's not been able to do it as well. Um, Jalen Pickett was important to get because they needed more primary ball handlers. Greg Lee was important to get because they needed someone that can stretch the floor at the four and also play to, to allow him to play with John Hara. But also in a pinch can play the five if you want to go a little smaller. So they're, I think the first year of Shrewsbury handling that is the best way to do it. You know, we'll see if that's how they're going to handle it moving forward. You, know, you could change strategy. They might have another big recruiting class in 2023. Uh, but again, I think the best way to handle it is, unless you're Kentucky, when you know you can get whoever you want, and even Texas Tech, like getting Kevin O'Banner is like, he's good. Like, yeah. he's really, really good. Um, unless you know you can get the highest of high-level guys, I would absolutely, without a doubt, try to build through your your young guys, build through, through freshmen and, and uh, high school recruiting classes, and then supplement it every single season with older guys, and then figure it out from there. Treat it as if... Once the decisions are are made on who's going and who's staying, treat it as a new opportunity to find guys that in years past you wouldn't have had a chance to add that to your roster. Like sometimes, like the season would end and one of your guys would transfer. You're like, that sucks. Now we're missing that. But now you can go get that. You can go replace that. A guy leaves for the draft you didn't expect him to. And it would suck and you'd be stuck. Now you can go get it and go replace it. And I would just treat it like that. Treat it to fill gaps. Sometimes that gap is best player on your team. Like it currently was with Jalen Pickett, right? Who's the best player on that team. Sometimes it's, it's adding... I don't know, Jaheim Cornwall, who, who's a contributor, someone that, that you think can help you help your team. Uh, Jelani White was that at the beginning of the year, tailed off a little bit. But guys like that, that can be sort of role players that you just need in to, to fill minutes and to fill time on the court. Well, we can move on to uh, an established program. National you know, power, some would national, say. All would say, really. All would say incredible wrestling power. Penn State's wrestling team defeating number two Iowa in a – extraordinary match. I mean, that's like, was, that was... It was tight throughout. Yeah. It was one of those things where everyone sort of won where they should have won. There were a couple guys, except I would say at heavyweight, uh, where you, you would have expected them to win. Um, I think Penn State probably a little disappointed in the outcome. Uh, you know, that's from the outside looking in. Uh, there were two guys in particular, I think, that disappointed a little bit. Um, that being Brady Berge at 165 pounds, who looked passive against Alex Marinelli. Um, he was he was wrestling like Iowa. 
Yeah, sort of. You know, the the passivity, the not actively trying to score, except he got called for the stalling uh, multiple he, times. He should have. Yes. Yeah. Uh, it was a good call. But yeah, and then, you know, at heavyweight, Greg Kirkfleet looked like a man on a mission against Mason Paris of Michigan, and then he comes out on Friday and, you know, he gets caught twice going for trips on Tony Cassiope and, and ends up nearly on his back both times, ends up losing the match. He's a guy that I talked about last week. Like he sort of elevated himself into a tier with just Mason Paris, basically below Gable Stevenson, and as someone who could challenge Stevenson, probably wouldn't beat him, but like reasonably could finish second at NCAs. And to to lose like that to Cassiope, it's it's not great, right? He's still not great on bottom. Uh, he still struggled there. Um, he's got to he's got to work harder to get out, basically against guys that are bigger than him, like Cassiope. Um, but yeah, that that duel in general. I think a, a pretty big positive for Penn State moving forward. Didn't get to see Drew Hildebrand against Drake Ayala because Ayala was out. But that being said, still, if you're a Penn State fan, you're happy to see Hildebrand get the win there. Happy to see Roman Bravo Young get the win. You know, Carter Storacci, Aaron Brooks, Nick Lee. Yeah, like, uh, you know, they won and you would want them to win, obviously. But, like, the the way they won I think was important. And Max Dean, too, over Jacob Warner, getting him in a bow and arrow uh, to get back points and close out that victory. Um you know, there were opportunities to do more, I think. I was always tough to wrestle because sort of as you intimated, they're not the most aggressive uh, team on the planet. It's sort of not their style, never has been under the Brands Brothers. Um, but I think Penn State did a good job of dealing with the hand or playing with the hand they were dealt. Um, outside of, I would say, like Berge and Kirkfleet probably disappointed. Uh, but we'll see. We'll see how they can bounce back. Yeah, and we'll we'll move on to this upcoming um duel against ohio state the bryce jordan center duel i don't know that's my that's my announcer voice it's, it's mediocre too yeah, actually not well, mediocre i'm i'm not i don't have the the, the deep stick to podcasting yeah uh but in this is honestly if i'm being honest my favorite sporting event i've ever been to in my oh, entire it's really life. really cool it is an incredible atmosphere filling 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 an arena yeah, an arena like it's not just filling an arena. Filling an arena that like people complain about is too big, right? Yeah. For like other sports and stuff like that. And it it is to be blunt. It like, is. Like, it's, it's not a basketball arena. There's it's not really conducive to crowd noise. But because they do it, and I think this is important because they do it once a year for wrestling. Place is always packed. It's yeah. Uh, and and I think it is a smart thing to only do it once a year. But the duel itself, Penn State be taking on Ohio State, and what should be a route you know what i mean like this is there there are not a lot of guys that uh are better on ohio state's roster than than penn state's at, at their specific weight classes um ohio state's strength is at the upper weights it just so happens that penn state has the number one wrestler at 174 184 has number two at 197 and i believe greg kirkfleet is currently number five so at the five upper weights or at the four most upper weights they're outmatched, uh, and, and that's tough, right? Like the the, the clearest advantage that Ohio State has is Sammy Sasso uh, at 149 pounds against Bo Bartlett, who is probably wrestling a weight higher than he should be. Um, you know, and hasn't been as aggressive as you would like to see this season, uh, especially given his disadvantage. You kind of just want to see him go for it and try to get better. Um, but that's going to be Ohio State's best chance to get a win, and they should get a win there. 157, another opportunity, sort of a toss up. Neither neither team is strong at that weight. Um, but I think the two weights to watch here are the two that, that kind of, I don't want to say no-showed because that's not, not fair, but like didn't show like you would want them to against Iowa. And that's at 165, where I would assume Brady Berge is going to go again, despite them listing uh, him alongside Creighton Edsel, who I believe has been listed alongside him since Berge got back in early January. 
uh, going up against Carson Karsula. Uh, he is the number four wrestler at 165. Bergie is uh, currently number 11. Was, I believe, a spot or two higher going into the, the matchup with Marinelli, who was fifth. And this is going to be a chance for him to prove he can be aggressive. He doesn't even have to necessarily win this bout. He has to go out and prove that he can be aggressive, that he can be attacking, that he can try to score points. And if he does that, it's possible that he does win. Do I think it's likely? No. But I think that would be a really positive sign for Penn State. Um, the other weight is heavyweight, where, like I said, Kirkley disappointed a bit. Boy, he, does he really have a chance to bounce back here? Because Tate Orndorff, who he's facing, who I think is number 13 in the country, has really struggled against the best wrestlers he's faced this year. And Kirkfleet is the kind of uh, physical presence and athletic presence, big, strong, powerful, and fast, um, that could get Orndorff on his back uh, and get a pin and get uh, three bonus points there. And, you know, we did our bout-by-bout prediction. Uh, myself and Nate Cobbler, who covers Penn State Wrestling in high school, wrestling for us at the Center Daily Times, we did bout, but we went bout, uh, bout by bout. And, you know, I projected Kirkfleet to, to get the fall there at heavyweight. I just think he is too big, too fast, too strong for Orndorff. But this is, you know, uh, this is going to be a test for those two guys to bounce back. And I think both should, both can. Um, and I think Kirkfleet should end with a win because of it. Bergie, that's less likely, but I think a good showing would would do a lot going forward and showing he can be aggressive in those situations. Uh, but, of course, you can find Nate and I's bout-by-bout story on uh, centerdaily.com. We tweeted it out at Center Daily. I believe I retweeted it as well. So, super interesting duel coming up. Um, lots, of, lots of interesting things happening up this weekend. Uh, but you'll just have to listen next week to, to hear That's right. Get happens. all the recap. Yeah. Yeah, we get the... Penn State, we'll get, you'll get a recap. Penn State, Wisconsin, Penn State, Michigan, uh, men's basketball, of course. You'll get a recap of the Penn State, Ohio State duel. Uh, that's leaning towards the postseason here soon. We'll get some postseason predictions too when, when time rolls around. I, th- I believe they have Nebraska and Ryder as well. Nebraska should be a runaway win for them on Sunday. Um, but, you know, that Ryder duel on the 20th uh, closes it out for the head of the postseason. So there'll be some postseason talk too. We got all of it. We got everything you need it's covered coming. in the Lions Lair. That's right. But the only way to get it is to follow, subscribe on whatever podcast platform you are listening on. Give us a rate and a review so that we can actually, you know, be seen. It's always helpful. Um, Share with your friends. The same things we literally say every week. So if you are a first time listener, get this through your head. Yes. We will say it again. We will say it again. We will say it again. So you don't have to get through it. We're not the mean teacher. We will repeat ourselves. But, but that's going to do it. Uh, John, where can people find you online? Of course, you can find me at centerdaily.com. Uh, you can subscribe to the Center Daily Times at centerdaily.com backslash sports podcast. That gets you a digital. Discount. Yes, a discounted digital sports dis- uh, subscription, uh, for, I believe, for a year. Uh, don't quote me on that. No. <laughs> you know, it's, but it is there, centerdaily.com backslash sports podcast. Um, of course, you can find all of my writing at centerdaily.com. I usually tweet it all out to it at John Sauber. There is no H in John. And you guys can find me online at Noah Rife on Twitter. And again, we'll see y'all next week. We hope you have a great weekend and enjoy. Don't get snowed in. We'll see y'all. <laughs>